Good morning, Pathway. It is so good to see you. Wasn't that just an incredible time of worship? Man, that was so good. We just want to continue in that uh, moment, in that atmosphere. And uh, so, again, we're so glad that you're here. If you're new, welcome. Thank you so much for coming. My name is Brian. I'm the pastor. And at Pathway, we simply want three main things for you. We want to help you to know God to find family, and to make a difference. And we believe when that happens in your life, it changes everything. And uh, so that's that's everything we do revolves around that. Again, thanks for, for coming. Um, we, we kicked off last week um, a, a series that we do every August and January, actually. We're a church that believes in the power of prayer unapologetically. And uh, you, yeah, that's probably a good thing to clap for if you want. <laughs> uh, but uh, we do. And, and uh, in fact, Pathway was, was started as a result of 40 days of prayer and fasting. And uh, so every January as a church, we have, even before we were officially a church, when it was just my wife and I, uh, we fasted 21 days every January and pray, and uh, just to really kick the year off the right way. And then every August, we pray for 21 days. So you don't have to fast in August. If you want to, you can, but uh, it's 21 days of prayer in August. And why August? Because um, you're going back to school with your kids. A lot of you are are starting new jobs. Just really, August seems to be the season of the most transition in people's lives, getting new homes or new jobs or new schools and new new marriages. A lot of people get married. And, and, uh, and so we just really believe that if everything that we do, we want to bathe in prayer and have that as our foundation because we believe prayer to God changes things as we just sang about. And uh, we really take that seriously. And so we do that every year. We started off last week and we encourage you if you're like, oh man, I'm missed it. Hey, not too late. Jump in for the last two weeks. You'll be good. 21 days of prayer, of really intense, focused prayer. So I hope that you spend time every day with God in prayer, communication with him. But this is a little extra. This is kind of kicking it up a notch. And so whatever you do normally in your prayer time, let's spend more time in that. That was our challenge last week. Whatever we're doing, let's double that. Let's spend more time in God's presence. And uh, so we're talking about that. If there was I believe this, ever a message or an example in the Bible that proves, I think factually, that prayer does change radical situations. If I could ever point to one story, one example that says this alone proves that prayer will change your situation. It's what we're going to talk about today. I encourage you to lean in. I encourage you, if you normally don't take notes today, it would be a great day to do that. You could do it on your phone. Keep it with you. Go back later in the week. Listen to the podcast again. I think you're going to really want to just kind of camp out in what we're talking about today over the next several uh, several weeks or at least the remaining of this week. And In fact, uh, in preparation for this, um, I have a, a professor that's in Israel. Again, we're hoping to take Pathway to Israel next fall, so I know people are excited about that, but uh, a professor over there that I make contact with, and so every now and then I'll have her give me some insights onto some things, and so I asked her about this passage, and she said, oh, in, in Jewish thought, the Bible was written by Jewish people, in, in Jewish thought, men and women even today point to this prayer as the model of like a perfect prayer, if you will. Like the model of prayer changing everything. It is regarded as like kind of a step above all the other prayers 
in the Bible. And I was like, wow. And, and a couple of years ago, during 21 days of prayer and fasting, I came across this. I had read it many times before, but it grabbed me in a way that truly didn't just impact my life, changed my life. And I can't wait to share it with you. It's in the Old Testament of the Bible. The Bible has new and Old Testament, if you're, if you're new uh, to the Bible, new and Old Testament. We're going to look at the Old Testament. There's a collection called Samuel. That's the guy that, that they think wrote part of it. And King David had a hand writing the, writing the rest of it. But it was such a large volume that they divided into two. So there's 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And we're going to look at the guy Samuel, his mom today. She was a, the most, one of the most famous women in all the Bible. Uh, but Samuel went on to be a great man of God and anoint kings and had a big role to play um, in the history of Israel. So let's check this out together. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, Verse 2, Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Paniah. Paniah had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Paniah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Paniah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. And year after year, it was the same. Paniah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. And each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? Time out. Guys, things not to say to your wife, especially. I've been married 17 years. Don't know all the tricks and secrets, but I know that, okay? Time out there, okay? All right. Because so. Then he says in verse 9, once after the sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli, the high priest, was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her, seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here to drink, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged, and I was pouring my heart out to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you the request you have asked him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was sad no longer. The entire family got up the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned to home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. 
Now, it's an amazing account. In fact, um, for us today at Pathway, what we do is if you have a family and let's say uh, you have a child and you want to what we would call dedicate that child or that family to God to say, God, thank you for giving us this child. We want to honor you by figuratively speaking, giving this child back to you, meaning we promise just like Hannah, we will raise this child to love you in a, in a home that is honoring to you. We call it child dedications at Pathway. We do it. It's one of my all-time honors as a pastor to get to do. We get all that from Hannah. This is a remarkable, remarkable woman. This woman has a leg up on almost all the men of the whole Bible, to be quite honest with you, and we're going to talk about why. The big thing that stands out to me about Hannah is something, as we've said, anytime the Bible repeats itself, you need to really lean in and pay attention. And there's a lot of things that stand out, but the first big heading, the first main thought that we have of this as we read it is simply this, you got to pray through the pain. Pray through the pain. Look at the words that describe how Hannah felt. That Phineas would taunt and make fun of her. That she would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. She was in deep anguish and crying bitterly. She said, I am very discouraged. I am pouring my heart out. And she says, I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. This so far is not a happy story. And, and, and we get these words in English like great sorrow and anguish. It doesn't do it justice in, in Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament was originally written in. That idea in Hebrew was her heart was crushed, not broken, crushed. She was reduced to tears. And every single year, Phineas would make fun of her. Listen, the enemy, especially in a season of 21 days of prayer, will taunt you. And notice this. Why did that happen? Because Elkanah, the, the, the husband, and by the way, the Bible does never promote polygamy. So you're like, well, that proves that the Bible's old. No, it's not promoting it. In fact, it's, it's not even condoning it. It's really condemning it because polygamy never ends well. I mean, this is a great case. And so he says clearly to Hannah, I love you more but because you can't have kids, I have to have another wife to continue on the family legacy. And so Phineas, the other wife, would make fun of her and taunt her. Every year, every year, notice it said that, year after year, when they would go to worship God, notice what happened, that, that she'd be made fun of. Every year. And so every year, I mean, I could just imagine the conversation would be like, why would you come here, Hannah? What has God done for you lately? What has God blessed you so much this last year that you have to thank him for anything? You don't have kids. I've got plenty of kids. Look at my life. I'm blessed. I'm highly favored by the Lord. And you're not. God must not love you. Because in that day, to not have children was unlike today. I mean, it's very sad. But in that day, you were an outcast. You would go to the market daily with all the other women and all their children. And you would be really alone. And something was wrong with you. And they kind of viewed it like God doesn't love you as much as he loves us. And so year after year, she would be made fun of and be taunted and out her heart would be broken and crushed and out of great anguish and sorrow. But what did she do about it? This woman is absolutely remarkable because notice what she does not do. She does not go to Elkanah, her husband, and say, please, you got to pray for God on my behalf or let's work something out or I'm not happy. No. She doesn't even go to the high priest, Eli. I mean, the man of God. She doesn't even go to the pastor. 
Notice what it says in verse, in, in verse 9. It says that Hannah got up to pray. Now, we read that, and we're like, well, yeah. I mean, of course, she has to stand up to go to the other room to pray. But, but in Hebrew, the idea is more what we might say in English. She put her foot down. She said, enough is enough. I'm going to do something about my heartache. And this, is, this wasn't just a month or two or a year. Year after year after year, five years maybe, two years, three years. I mean, it was a long time. Heartache and pain. Finally, in verse 9, she stood up. Spiritually speaking, she said, I've had enough. I'm doing something about it. I'm going to stand up. She doesn't go to the priest and say, would you pray for me? Would you bless me? Would you ask God on my behalf? She doesn't go to her husband. She doesn't go to anyone else. I love this woman and her boldness because she says, I don't need the priest. I'm thankful for him. I don't need the pastor. I'm thankful for him. I don't need my husband. I'm thankful for him. I need my God in heaven to hear my plea, and I can go directly to him no one in between us but me and my father and I'm going to pray to him even in the middle of my heartache in the middle of my pain in the middle of my crushed spirit and soul I still will ask my God in heaven to hear me and help me I love that about this woman Listen, if you're in a season where the enemy is taunting you, you'll never make it. You're not going to be smart enough. You're never going to be more successful than your parents, or you're going to be worse than your parents were. And hey, that thing, the way they treated you, you're going to be like that to your kids, or your kids aren't going to be smart enough. They're not going to make it. You're not pretty enough. You're not ever going to make a certain amount of money. Life will always be a struggle. I know you keep praying for God to heal you, but hey, you've been praying on that same thing for five years. And your physical health is getting worse. Just give up. Just quit. Do you think God really honors you and loves you? Do you know what you did over your last past life? Do you know where you've been from? And the enemy will taunt you. But I want to encourage you today that if the enemy is taunting you, look and do what this amazing woman did and don't take it any longer. Stand up spiritually and get alone with God and call on him even in the middle of your pain. And your pain is not the time to run from him, but run to him. I love that about Hannah. That that she could have done what many of us would do if we're being honest painful season. God's not answering. I mean, she prayed year after year for a son. And notice, and we'll talk about this in a minute. Notice, why couldn't she have a son? It wasn't her. It wasn't even her own anatomy or biology. It was God. And yet she prays to the very God that closed her wound. And because her wound was closed, she had great pain and anguish and sorrow and was crushed. And the very God that closed her wound, that caused the pain, instead of cursing him, she embraces him in prayer. Remarkable. Nobody else does this in the Bible. She's amazing. She stood up out of her misery. And I love I don't love, but it's interesting that Eli, this priest who wasn't that great of a guy when you read more about his life, and he was okay, he was below average, we might say, but, but Eli sees her praying, and I love, I love, I love Hannah, I can't, I, can't, I can't say that enough, you're going to walk out like, I don't remember what we said, but the guy loved Hannah, I do remember that, but I love Hannah because she just walked right past him, he's sitting at the entrance to go into to the presence of God. So I mean, imagine, you know, if, if you're walking into the theater and I'm sitting there, you just walk right past me and come in to pray. She's like, I don't even need you. I just need God. 
listen, call me up if you need prayer. I'd love to pray. It's an honor to pray with you, and I'll stand with you in agreement and faith. But you don't need me or anyone else. The beauty is you have the power. You have the authority. You have the faith that you can go to God directly. I love that she just like, I don't even need you to see it. You keep sitting there on your stool, man. I'm going to go take care of some business with, with God. And she does that. And I love, and then when he sees it, what does he say? Now, I would like to think, and, and, you know, I'd like to think that if I saw you in great anguish and pain and crying where your lips are moving but you're not saying anything, that I wouldn't assume you're drunk. I, I'd, I hope to think that I, I, if I love you at any level as your pastor, I'd hope to think that we could have that kind of, that I wouldn't just accuse you like, you're drunk, man. What's up? But, I, but Eli does that. Eli's like, you're drunk. And, and, and I love her response. She doesn't take it from anybody. I mean, she just, and she says, no, no, no. In essence, she says, I'm not pouring out drinks. I'm pouring out my soul. That's prayer. I'm not pouring out or being filled with alcohol or pouring it out. I'm being pouring out my crushed heart and being filled with the peace of God. That's real prayer, and that's what prayer can do. It's, it's, it's amazing. Listen, instead of giving up, you have to pray in the pain. The one time, I promise you, you don't want to pray is in the middle of pain. The hardest time to pray is not 5 o'clock in the morning because you're still sleepy. No, get some coffee, get an espresso, wake yourself up, take a shower, run a lap around the house. You'll be okay. That's not the hardest time to pray. The hardest time to pray is when you feel like God isn't answering your prayer or worse, that it is God is the one that not even answering it but preventing you from even seeing it. When the enemy is taunting you and it seems like God isn't listening and you're in the middle of crushed of your heart, crushed spirit, deep anguish, deep sorrow. That is the hardest time to pray. I know that. I've lived it, and I think you have too. It's easy to pray when things are good, when God's answering our prayer, and we can come into a, an auditorium like this, and, and we sing you know, amazing worship songs, and oh, we feel God's presence, and, and fear bow, and chains fall, and oh, yeah, I feel that. It's hard when you're like, no, 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 I've been praying chains fall, but I'm still chained up. I'm still bound. Fear is not falling. It's overtaking me. That's the hardest time to pray. Because the enemy is saying, God is not listening. Why would you keep doing it? You have to learn. Dig deeper and pray in the pain. Here's the thing, and I think you need to write this down. If nothing else, put it in your phone. Go back to it this week. Go back to it because especially as you're praying, as we're praying for a church, before we get into our new building in a few weeks, few months, before we get into that, we want to bathe our church in prayer. Not when we get into it, but before we get there. We want to bathe that place in prayer. Listen, as you're praying and the enemy is taunting you, notice what Hannah did. Hannah understood that her real power is in the posture of prayer. Your real power is not in who your pastor is or who your spouse is or whatever or your theological education. Your real power is in the process of prayer, the position of prayer. That's where power lies. What posture do you have before God? Hannah could have had the posture of, until you answer my prayer, I'm not going to talk to you. Until you do what I, no, even in my pain, I'm going to get on the posture of prayer. Listen, pathway, as you're praying and the enemy's taunting you and it's hard, know that real power in the middle of your pain is in the posture of your prayers.
Here's why I think this matters so much. Because powerful prayer changes me. Powerful prayer changes me. I love what verse 6 tells us. And it tells us twice, verse 5 and verse 6. Again, Bible repeats itself. Got to pay attention. It's, it's fascinating. I don't know if you caught that, but we're going to lean into that now. Why, who closed her wound and why was it closed? God. It says it twice. Because the Lord had closed her womb. The, God made her infertile. God was the one that prevented her from having kids. Now, some of you are like, that, that's messed up. I thought God was all gracious and loving, and he'd give me what, what I asked for. And he was a God of mercy and peace and grace. And yet, this isn't happening at all. What's going on? And you're exactly right to ask that question. And you should ask that question. And we're going to give you the answer. But think about that. She's praying to God for a, a child, and yet God is the one saying, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to purposely get involved in your life so much so that I'm going to be the one, not even your own anatomy. I'm the one going to stop it. Now that asks the question, what good could come from that, God? God, I mean, here she is. She's, you see her pain, God. You see her anguish. And, God, you're the one causing it in effect. And God, I mean, she's not asking to be wealthy and powerful. She's asking for a kid. I mean, good grief. Is that too much to ask? God, what good could you ever come out of this woman's pain? Whatever good could come out of her suffering and her crush and her anguish and her sorrow? What good could come out of Phineas taunting her so much so that she won't even eat food? What, what is your purpose there, God? What are you going to use that for? Here's the amazing thing. In spite of all that, I think because of all that, Hannah was the greatest woman, I believe, in all the Bible. I really do. I know for sure she's the greatest woman in the entire Old Testament of the Bible, and I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to give you six quick things about Hannah that she is unique. No other woman, and, and very few men, by the way, are at her level. She's Hall of Fame, Ring of Honor, whatever you want to call it. She's there. Look at this. One of them is that she is mentioned going to God's house, the, the tabernacle. No other woman in the entire Old Testament is ever mentioned to do this. Hannah is the only woman that is shown making a vow to God and then fulfilling that vow. She is the only woman who is specifically said to pray. No other woman is said to pray like we have their words in the Old Testament. Only Hannah. Her prayer is among the longest recorded in the Old Testament. If you were to read on it later in chapter 1 and chapter 2, it records more of her prayer. The longest prayer in the Old Testament is by her. Her prayer includes the most recorded of God's name, which is Yahweh, by a woman. She uses the term the Lord Almighty, and no one else, even man or woman, prior to Hannah, had ever used this term to address God. This woman is a rock star. I love this woman. She is amazing. In other words, listen, because of her pain, it actually drew her closer to God, so much so that she had a deeper understanding of the things of God than even the guy that was supposed to, the priest. The priest should have had some spiritual inkling of, 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 of nothing else, just common sense. She's got tears on her face, and she's skinny because she's not eating. He should be able to pick up on some of those social cues, but he didn't. In other words, she had a better theology lesson than even the guy that was a major in theology and had a doctoral degree. 
She understood the deep things of God in a way Eli never could. Why? Because she walked through some pain that Eli never did. I want to encourage you today. God is not wasting your pain. And if you will turn to him, he will take you into a deeper relationship with him that you would never go through if it wasn't for the pain. You're not going to stay in the pain. It may be year after year. And and the most famous song in the Old Testament, Song 23, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. I don't camp out there. I don't stay there. I don't build I'm walking through it. It might be long. It might be dark. It might be scary. It might be cold. But God, you're with me. That was her attitude. Because I get to see a side of you, God, that I would have never seen before. Eli didn't get to see that. But she did. Listen, could it be that God purposely closed her wound to open her heart to a deeper level with him? It could be that God is closing whatever you're praying for right now, not because he's mean or he's not listening to you or he doesn't care. It's the opposite. Don't you see that? It's not because he doesn't care or listen. It's because he immensely loves you. He is so passionate about you that he wants to show you some things that he won't show anybody else, but to show it to you, you've got to walk through the pain that nobody else can walk through. That's what's going on. God is saying, I'm not going to close it for forever, but I'm going to close it temporarily, maybe for several years, but I'm going to close it so that you can be open to deeper things of me. When you're going through pain, and I've done this, and I believe you have too, when you go through pain, you can either walk through it, and, and, and pain does one of two, and I see it as a pastor, one of two things. When you're in the middle of pain, it'll either push you away from God, See, I tried that Christian stuff. I tried the prayer stuff. I tried the church stuff. Small group, read my Bible, pray. Didn't work. My life got worse after I gave my life to Jesus. I'm out. And it'll push you away from him. And then the rest of your life, hear me, you'll spend it bitter. Because your heart was so crusted and so hard like a stone. Because you went through some pain. And I know it's, I've been through pain. We've all been through pain. What do you do with it? And if you allow it to push you away from God, your heart will turn to stone. And you will live the rest of your days miserable. But in the middle of your anguish, in the middle of your pain, you can turn to the very one who can hear your prayer. Even though it seems like he might not be in the middle of talking, and it can bring you closer. Every time I've walked through pain, and a lot of it I've only told my wife. But when I've walked through painful seasons, it's, it's rarely is it a week or two. It's, it's months and so, sometimes been several years. But I can promise you when I look back, I never say, oh, I'd love to go back and relive those days. That was fun. No. I'm like, thank you, God. I'm, I'm, I don't ever want to go back. But I wouldn't trade it for the world. Because, God, I, I grew some roots in that time. I, I got deeper with you that I would have never had before. That's what pain can do. See, pain can change you. I love this. That Think about this, too. She, we didn't have time to read it, but you can go read it today. But Hannah prays for the son, and, and at the end, she gets the son. She names him Samuel, which means I ask God for him. He's an answer to prayer. And so she, she gets Samuel, and then later she gives this beautiful prayer. It's a, kind of a worship song prayer. It's, it's really powerful. But then notice what she does if you read later on. When he gets to be about three, five years old, somewhere in that range, she fulfills the vow, the promise she made to God. 
God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. Think about that for a minute. Like, time out. I've been begging God for years. I mean, begging, crushed, praying. I, I, I couldn't even, I, could, I prayed so hard, my voice was hoarse. I couldn't even say the words. I, 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 I in tears, and I lost sleep, and I, I lost weight because I couldn't eat, and I was crushed. I begged God for the one thing, and God gives me the one thing. Whether that's a career or fulfillment or joy or whatever it is for you that you're praying about. And God, after years, answers your prayer. And then does, what does she do? Turn around and give it right back to him. This is an amazing woman. Listen, why would she do that? That's my question. I mean, because if we could be totally honest, if you begging God for something for years and you're crushed and God answers it, how many of you be like, okay, God, I'll give it right back? Like, probably going to say, thanks, God. We'll work out some other kind of deal. I got what I wanted. I'm good. And God in his grace may allow that. I don't know. But she immediately gives him back. Why? Because she went through some pain. But listen, hear me. What was the one thing she wanted when she stood up? Remember verse 7 to go pray. The one thing she wanted, a son. She was consumed with that. Not consumed with anything else. Not consumed consumed with wanting a son. Because she thought, if I could just have a son, my life will have meaning. My life will be fulfilled. Yeah, I got a husband that loves me. And that's great. I mean, he's kind of insensitive at times, as we've read. But I really want a son that would give my life meaning and purpose. I just, I just want to be like all the other moms. I, I just want a son. And if I could just have that one thing. But I believe this. In the middle of her prayer, as she's being accused of being drunk, her heart changed. So much so. Notice what happened. Eli says, go in peace. And, and he says, may God do that. Now, she, he doesn't say, he doesn't say, hey, um, you know, uh, go in peace. And God told me to tell you, you're going to have a son a year from now. God never directly tells her, read it carefully, never directly says, I'm going to answer your prayer. You're going to have a son. It's going to be great. She ne- God never does that. Eli's just kind of like, hey, I hope it works out for you. I'll be praying for you, right? Like we do that to people. I'll be praying for you. I hope it works out. You know, let me know. That's kind of the idea. I hope, I just pray God does that. That's kind of the idea. But what does she do? She goes back home and she eats for the first time. Why? We think of it like this, that, that I'm going to have I'm going to pray. God's going to answer my prayer, and then I'll have peace. No. In her, she prayed. She had peace. Then a little while later, the baby. Listen, God could be teaching you that. That the one thing that she wanted when God finally gave it to her, why could she give him back? And I'm sure it was tough, but she gave him back. How? Because she already had peace. Why? Because through the pain, she recognized, I don't need the fulfillment of a son to give my life meaning and joy and fulfillment. Father, I need your love. Because God, the love that you give is far greater than any child. And I want a child still. I'm still asking for a kid. Don't get me wrong. I still want a baby. But Lord, through the pain and through the prayer of pain, my heart's changed. And now... I want your love, and I want your joy. I want you more than I want a son. That your love gives me what he never could, and that is purpose and fulfillment and peace. That's why she could get up, go back and eat. 
Listen, you have to understand, and this was a breaking moment in my life a couple years ago, as I said, during 21 days of prayer and fasting in January when I was fasting, that, that I read this, not on purpose, I was just reading through the Old Testament, came across this, and it changed my life. Because I recognize, God, I've been chasing and thinking what will give my life meaning and fulfillment is this. And God, if you'll just give me this, I'll be good. But God had to get me through the pain because I wouldn't have learned it elsewhere. I'm hard-headed. But God had to get me through the pain to recognize, no, 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 that could never give you the meaning. Even if I answered it, it would wreck you. But I give you meaning. I give you fulfillment. I give you peace and purpose. When you get to that place pathway, you recognize, God, if you answer it, I'm still praying that you do. Awesome. And, Lord, if you never answer it, it's okay because I'm fulfilled. I have peace, I have purpose, I have meaning. Because God, the love that you give is far greater than the love and meaning than anything else. Only Jesus can satisfy. That's what this teaches us. Hannah's prayer changed her even more than her situation. Sometimes we think, if I pray, that'll change the heart of God. And there's some examples of that, sure. But can I tell you the real secret of prayer is, especially 21 days of prayer, I promise if you're doing this faithfully every day and you're taking it up a notch, whatever prayer that you're doing, that at the end of it, you're going to realize, I've changed in this. I'm closer to God. I mean, so, so things in my heart that I didn't even realize needed to shift have shifted. That's what it can do. So here's the big takeaway. Pray until peace. Hannah's spiritual victory was, was, came out of the labor of prayer. Your spiritual victory pathway will come not from the blessing of a pastor or, or theology. That's fine. But it will come only through prayer. I love this. I believe God had to teach her, Hannah, before you can be in the, the, the labor delivery room of natural birth, you got to spend some time in the pain of the spiritual delivery room with the birth of prayer. Some, maybe God is teaching someone that, that God is saying, before I answer your prayer, you need to spend time in the painful prayer delivery room. Before you labor in real victory, you got to labor in the spiritual victory first. Anything that God has ever done in my life that has been birthed, not out of my talent or, or my ability, which is very minimal, and you know that, but everything that has been blessed in my life, that anything good in my life, I promise you, I guarantee you, it has only been birthed out of prayer. Pathway was birthed out of prayer. That building was birthed out of prayer. Listen, it's worth it. Labor. Keep praying. Keep seeking. Don't quit. Don't listen to the negative enemy voices. Don't give up. Ignore the priest. You keep praying, and then the spiritual delivery labor room God will give you the physical delivery and labor of victory. That's what he'll do. I love this, that in Romans, the letter in the New Testament of the Bible, one of my favorite all-time verses, parts of the Bible, Romans chapter 4, verse 20. And here's the cool thing. Last week, if you were here, you go back and listen to the podcast if you weren't. But last week, we talked about similar people. 
We talked about some people in the New Testament. They were old and they couldn't have kids. And an angel came and said, you're going to have some kids. And it was cool. And then now this same story echoes that story, but it echoes another story in the first book of the Bible called Genesis where a guy named Abraham and his wife Sarah was like 90 and 100 years old, couldn't have kids. And God said, I'm going to give you a son. And it was 25 years. Okay, long time. 25 years before they had a son. And notice later on what it says. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. May it be said of you and I that we never wavered in believing God's promise for our life, for our family, for our marriage, for our kids, for our finances, our job, our church, our building, whatever it is, our community, that we never wavered believing God's promise. In fact, our faith grew stronger. I hope that in heaven they're saying that about me. Not, oh, he's a great preacher, he's a good dad, he's a good husband. Sure, sure, sure. But let it be said on the streets of heaven about me and in the streets of Yukon that even when the going gets tough, that guy's faith never wavers. Oh, it's not just optimism. He has a rock-solid faith in God that even if it goes from bad to worse, his faith will never waver. It grows stronger. Let that be known. About. Wouldn't that be cool to have that reputation as a church? Like, man, they just, uh, COVID happened. They just meet in a park. All right. And then, uh, then the AMC opens up. They meet in a movie theater. Like, it doesn't matter what the enemy throws and taunts at them. Their faith will never waver. And six years later, we got a building. That's what God will do. And I love, I love the end of that. I love the end. And in this, he brought glory to God. Could it be that the whole thing is that you could say, and in this, I brought glory to God. Not braggingly, maybe a little bit, that's okay. But, but in this, I brought glory to God. Could it be that in the middle of your pain, God is using all your pain, and that at, at the end of it, when God answers your prayer, you can look back and say, my faith brought glory to God. It's not your theology, it's not, it's not your faith brought glory to God because it never wavered. Hannah's perseverance in prayer led to Samuel. And this boy Samuel was, was the last judge of Israel. And that day they didn't have a king. They had, they had men and women that God would purposely put his hand on and raise them up to lead the nation. He was the last judge, the last big time leader of Israel before they had a king. Samuel was such a big deal. He anointed not just the first king of Israel, the first two. Samuel's such a big deal that the second king he anointed, King David, the David that killed Goliath, you may have heard that story. That David was the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. And Samuel anointed the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. If you were to ask Hannah, and someday you will, Hannah, all those times that Phineas was making fun of you at the dinner table, that you would just get up and storm out and be reduced to tears and your heart would be broken and you couldn't eat and your soul was so greatly anguished and it didn't happen just once, but year after year, day after day. Hannah, was it worth it when you saw Samuel? And she's going to say, absolutely, it was worth it. It was worth it. Not just because I had Samuel, but the process helped me to, to see God and showed me a side of God that I would have never seen. 
You think Samuel's the blessing, and he was. He's a good boy. But the real blessing was the sight of God that I saw. It brought me deeper to him. May it be said of you. That's the cool thing about God is that when he answers your prayer the whole time before, I've lived this. I know it. I know it to be true. When you're begging God for something and, and through the painful process of prayer, at the end of it, when God answers it, you're like, man, God, thank you. But the thing I'm most thankful for is what I got to see you. It's how closer I'm still thankful for the thing that I thought I wanted, but I realize now I wanted you more than anything. That's what you're, the thankfulness of God isn't Samuel. It's that I got to be closer to him. And yes, of course, Samuel. He'll do that. In fact, hey, here's the cool thing too. Hannah, I love this woman, right? She's amazing. The cool thing about Hannah, she went on to have five more babies. God is good. God is faithful. He hears your prayer. He's answering your prayer on his timeline. First, you got to spend some time in the labor room of prayer, and then God's going to give you not just the one thing. She asked for one baby. God said, I'll give you one. He's going to be a dynamite guy. He's going to be an awesome guy. I'm going to give you five more. That's the God that we serve. Not enough, but more than enough. I love that. Listen, here's the the reality later on, this didn't just happen once, later on, there was a group of people, not just one mom. Listen, the power of a praying mom, right? I mean, I think some of you are like, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the power of my praying mom. And, and that's my prayer too. Quick side note, my prayer, and I believe this about prayer. A guy named Ian Bounds, who wrote a lot of books about prayer, said this, and so I'm just borrowing his quote, but is that my prayer, is that my prayers will be answered in the lifetime of my children and my grandchildren. When my soul is with Jesus and my body has turned back to dust, that every day they're like, man, I didn't pray for that. God answered that prayer. Yeah, but your mom and dad did years ago. Your grandma and grandpa did years ago. Sow the seeds of prayer today and God will answer it in generations to come. But there was a group of people praying and they were praying for someone just like, just like Samuel rescued Hannah from her pain and her sorrow and when he was finally born she figuratively sacrificed him back to God meaning we're not going to have a normal child son relationship mother son really I'm going to give him back to you I'm going to sacrifice my relationship with him back to you people were begging God God we need someone to to rescue us from our shame from our anguish from our pain God answered but this time when God answered he answered by sending his son and his son came and wasn't figuratively sacrificed like Samuel but literally sacrificed on a cross murdered executed slaughtered bled out suffocated in his own was sacrificed why to answer your prayer and my prayer and all of humanity's prayer God would you rescue me from my shame rescue me from my pain and my sorrow and my anguish and my sin and God said the only way I can answer that is if I come and die as that sacrifice and that's what Jesus did that's the message of Christianity. That's the message of the New Testament, of the Bible. That's the message of the cross. It's the message of the gospel. 
And I want to give you, if you're here and you want to have that relationship, maybe you've been praying that, then today is your day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your truth and for your word. Lord, this wasn't some fictitious account that happened long ago. But Lord, this was real people, historical people, documented, factual. And we're so thankful for this amazing, incredible woman of faith, Hannah. Help us to model her to be that example. That in the middle of our pain, we pray. It's hardest, but it's the delivery room of prayer and pain that delivers your answer and your promise. Father, let us pray until we have peace and not give up. Thank you. And today, if you're here, as the rest of us, we're just praying right now. But if you would be here and you would say, Brian, at the very end, you, you talked about Jesus. That's honestly what I need. Hey, look, we're not inviting you to join our church or find religion. No. We want to give you the opportunity to enjoy a life-changing relationship with the very God that created you. It's, by the way, the only one that can truly answer your deepest pain and heal it. And if that would be you today, you say, I want to have that relationship. All that we ask you do is simply to raise your hand. You don't have to stand up or come to the front, but just right where you're at, I want to give my life to Jesus, have that relationship with him. The rest of us are praying, but if that's you, just raise your hand right now. We just love to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's all say this prayer together. Jesus, thank you for loving me. I believe you're God's son. I believe you died and rose again. From today on, I give my life to you. Forgive me of my sin. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give a hand for those that made that decision today? Man, congratulations. That is the best decision you will ever make. And 